Welcome to another episode of Follow the Brand. I am your host, Grant McGaw, CEO of Five Star BDM, a five-star personal branding and business development company. I want to take you on a journey that takes another deep dive into the world of personal branding and business development using compelling personal stories, business conversations, and tips to improve your personal brand. By listening to the Follow the Brand podcast series, you will be able to differentiate yourself from the competition and allow you to build trust with prospective clients and employers. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Make it one that will set you apart, build trust, and reflect who you are. Developing your five-star personal brand is a great way to demonstrate your skills and knowledge. If you have any questions for me or my guests, please email me at grant.mcgaugh, spelled M-C-G-A-U-G-H, at 5star BDM, B for brand, D for development, M for masters.com. Now let's begin with our next five-star episode on Follow the Brand. Hello, and welcome to the Follow the Brand podcast. I am your host, Grant McGall, CEO of Five Star BDM. Today, we will talk about maintaining a high caliber brand with highly extroverted engineer and entrepreneur, Kristen Malaster. Kristen talks about enabling the delivery of extraordinary care by giving the right tools and optimized processes for improved patient outcomes. Kristen owns a company called Ingenuum, which has a powerhouse of consultants with a high caliber of expertise in telehealth delivery and services. With the avalanche of digital health services overtaking the world, he shares his approach through a weekly newsletter that he publishes every Tuesday. With over 100 written articles and 40 speaking engagements, Kristen shares valuable pragmatic insights with professionals seeking knowledge in the virtual care industry. Christian says to share your knowledge without hesitation. Talent recognizes genius and mediocrity knows nothing but itself. Christian is passionate and about enabling the delivery of extraordinary care. He relentlessly advocates bringing personal satisfaction to the medical profession by applying systems thinking principles and implementing systems engineering solutions. Rooted in German engineering and systems thinking, Kristen designs and implements pragmatic improvement and optimization solutions, drawing from a wide range of disciplines, including design thinking, agile, lean, ballwitch, requirements engineering, and servant project management. Kristen is the founder and CEO of Ingenuum Digital Health Services, a boutique consultancy focused on leveraging digital health to deliver extraordinary care. Ingenuine comprises a six-person consulting team and a consortium of over a dozen expert advisors. Born, raised, and educated as an engineer in Germany, Christian started his career at IBM Global Services before joining the Mayo Clinic in 2000. He worked for 12 years in various roles before launching Ingenuine. He resides just outside Annapolis, Maryland, with his wife and two teenage daughters. Let's give a warm welcome to my guest on the Follow the Brand Show, Kristen Malaster. 
Thank you, everyone, and welcome to another episode on Follow the Brand. This is your host, Grant McGall, and today you will not believe the guest that I'm bringing in to the audience. This is going to be a special treat for a lot of different people. It's going to merge together a lot of my audience, people that are in healthcare, healthcare administration, and then those other people that are in information technology, and how those two have come together to create these things that we're now utilizing every day like video conferencing, like Zoom, but then we get into telemedicine, telehealth, we get into digital health initiatives, we start getting into remote patient monitoring, all these different things that are now becoming more and more used in our healthcare uh, systems as we all are fighting through COVID. So for today, I'm going to introduce you to Mr. Christian Melaster. I'll let him introduce himself and let you know how he's special and how he's utilizing his brand and business development to grow his reach. So without further ado, Mr. Christian Melaster. Well, thank you so much, Grant, for the wonderful introduction. And I'm very happy to be here. So uh, branding is something, obviously, as entrepreneurs that we got to figure out how to get the, our visibility up, how to uh, get out there in the world and be recognized, uh, whether we do a personal brand or uh, a company brand. And so uh, it's, it's a topic that I've uh, studied quite a bit, um, a little bit here and there. Um, and then implemented and applied. So very happy to talk about this for a change rather than just going down into the deep te technical pit of telehealth and telemedicine. So it's nice to actually talk about the business a little bit than just uh, just talking in the business. Exactly, exactly. And so that's what we want to do because I, I looked through your story and I found it very interesting. First, you come from you know, another country in Germany. You've migrated over to the to the U.S. You made your home here. I think you go kind of back and forth uh, at, at different times and, and, and also during your career. Um, so tell us more about just your beginnings and how you got into this, this telehealth and this telemedicine and other things that you're doing across your brand structures. Well, you already teed it up perfectly at the introduction. So really, I'm, I'm, I'm living at the intersection of healthcare and technology. And uh, if you look at my resume, I spent some years at IBM as a, a software development and project lead. And then I spent 12 years at the Mayo Clinic in various different roles. And so you've got a, a high caliber technology brand and you've got a high caliber uh, healthcare brand. And so that's basically, uh, those, that's my pedigree, right? <laughs> so those, those are my two parents that gave me gave birth to the career that I've now uh, consciously chosen. Uh, really fell in love with healthcare and especially healthcare delivery. Um, the red thread throughout my career since 1987, from when I started developing some software in the basement of my parents, is uh, that I like to uh, optimize service delivery. Um, I was writing some applications for some forwarding company that was run out of the basement of a neighbor's house of my parents um, and creating invoices and that, right? So that was 1987, MS-DOS <laughs> still alive and well. And, um, and uh, yeah, and then when I discovered healthcare and, and how it's so meaningful that uh, really what you can uh, improve there uh, will make a difference uh, in, in the patient's lives um, as well as uh, make a difference in the providers and the clinicians' lives. I've been very disheartened to hear recurring stories about physician burnout and frustration, especially frustration with the EMR. Um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll get to the penance story later on. <laughs> I'll, I'll weave it in again. Um, but yes, it's uh, a born, raised and educated in Germany. I came to the U.S. Uh, 23 years ago and, um, and uh, started my own consulting firm, Ingenium Digital Health Advisors, uh, 10 years ago. 
Man, that's uh, you. You've already said a mouthful, and that's a great story. I'm curious though, because I see this engineering background. A lot of people that are engineers, they're not all, you know, coming. They're not forthright with a lot of, uh, I would say, social uh, 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 presence. Let's put it like that. And you seem to be the opposite. Like you've merged together your right brain and your left brain, and you got them in concert and you got them talking. So. I see you working at Mayo, and then all of a sudden you take this, this leap, this change, and you go into business for yourself. Yes. And I'm curious as to why you did that and then why you chose the name that you chose in genuine. Okay, very, very good question. Yes, I am a highly extroverted uh, engineer. <laughs> and and, and you know, uh, do you know the difference between an introverted and an extroverted engineer? No, I do not. It's the extroverted engineer looks at your shoes. Um, so versus the introverted engineer looks at their shoes, right? Uh-huh. No, but, but I am highly extroverted. I don't, uh, uh, I don't fit the mold of an engineer. Um, um, and so, yes, you're right. I am I'm very socially outgoing and uh, very exuberant. Um, and that may be one of the reasons why I left Mayo Clinic, because I always jokingly said, I found everything at the wonderful Mayo Clinic that I left Germany for, uh, red tape, bureaucracy, nepotism, <laughs> so uh, all these things. And, and, and yet here I was coming to the US to, to, uh, to be more entrepreneurial, to be more flexible, because it's, it's that uh, American entrepreneurial spirit that really attracted me uh, in the first place. And so um, that's why then when I had finally had the opportunity to jump ship, so to speak, to rid myself of the golden handcuffs of a secure job at a good salary with very with not much work uh, or not much stress, stress I should say, um, then I left it. And at 12 years was, was really a great time. I've, I've been exposed to so many different things. And yes, and then uh, came across uh, telehealth and telemedicine in 2003 with a remote patient monitoring uh, a product we were developing over the course of eight years and then uh, veered into televisits and tele-exams, uh, th- that world, and said, I want to work with organizations who want to move a little bit more quickly than the Mayo Clinic can. Uh, as an academic medical center. And when the opportunity presented itself, um, somebody said to me, well, how can we secure your expertise for our organization? I said, you can hire me as a consultant. And six weeks later, um, I I had quit Mayo and uh, I I was uh, ready to work for myself. That's awesome. So so the name in genuine is that yes. because you're what is is there a meaning or a story behind that there is a story behind it yes it's because uh, it's the latin root of engineering so the latin word for uh, engineering is ingenium uh, also it, it's the stem for ingenuity or ingenious and so um, my, my kind of tongue-in-cheek slogan has always been uh, for ingenium it's, it's uh, engineering ingenuity um, so applying that and um, also my, my German education uh, is I'm a diploma engineer uh, or diploma ingenieur because we use the French word in German uh, for that and it's spelled the same pretty much the same way as ingenium and so so that's uh, uh, that 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 word uh, or that letter combination I-N-G-E-N-I is is always very familiar to me it's 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 kind of my uh, my certification it's it's my the profession. Uh, I'm an I'm an engineer. I'm an engineer, and so that's why I chose it as a company to apply engineering principles to healthcare. I think that's awesome, and it, it served you well. You've been now an entrepreneur with ten plus years now. 
Um, well, with this enterprise, 10 plus years, yeah. I, I had another uh, entrepreneurial venture before that and, and uh, always uh, aspired to be an entrepreneur. Um, but I think my parents uh, successfully squelched that because they saw they had a lot of friends um, uh, that, that were working 60, 80 hours and they didn't want that for me. They, they had nine to five jobs and were very happy with it. And so my entrepreneurial spirits, which I inherited from both of my grandfathers, <laughs> um, uh, they, they kind of stayed on. And eventually I had to go to America to kind of <laughs> rid myself of, of those constraints. And I've talked about them and then <laughs> they, they agree that they were trying to protect me. But uh, no, I definitely uh, um, have been an entrepreneur and I love, love it. And I'm launching uh, a new business and over the weekend came up with another business idea of something I want to launch over the next two years. So yeah, once you get started, uh, you hardly can stop. Wow. Wow. So you're a serial entrepreneur is what it I, I aspire like. to be right now. <laughs> yeah. the, the first business was great because it failed. Um, uh, I had this great group of uh, advisors. I had like, uh, it, it, it was an environmentally uh, energy friendly, energy efficiency consulting business. And, and I had this great group of advisors in the small city in, in, in Minnesota. Um, like the, the the head of the bank and the head of the utility and the, the the city lawyer and I mean all great people, and and about a few months into the advisory board meetings uh, uh, that I had organized, they said, "Well, this everything looks great, Christian. It's just beautiful, beautiful presentation, beautiful business cards and brochures, but." You don't have any customers, <laughs> so I said, "Oh, okay, yes." And 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 then I realized uh, that what what business is really about. So that's how I learned my lesson. And uh, because I was I was sitting nice and comfortable uh, with the golden handcuffs at Mayo Clinic, I didn't need business. I just needed a creative outlet, and that's really what I was doing <laughs> at the time. Is 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 just fledgling my uh, my entrepreneurial muscles and uh, doing it in a safe environment, so I didn't have to take any risks. <laughs> so without quitting my job, but well, that, uh, that's the thing. Being an entrepreneur, there are inherent risks. Yeah, and the audience listening in today, they know that the you know we get involved a lot with personal branding and business development. Me being a business developer for the last twenty plus years, mainly in the IT space, I understand exactly what that means. You yeah. have to create relationships yeah. and the creation of those relationships will you know, go across a lot of different barriers there. Yeah. You know, the, the first thing when you approach anyone with a new business idea is that there's hesitancy. You know, yeah. what, where's the proof? And if you don't have that proof or showing them a way to get comfortable with what you're trying to do, you know, the, the, the venture could fail. Uh, because they're just not willing to to risk. So you have to make those small steps. You've got to create those relationships. One thing I've noticed about you, that you've created a very strong brand. You're starting to lead with the things that you need. You need to tell your story. You know, yes. who are you and what business problem are you solving? So for our audience, just tell us more about what business problem that you're solving and why you're passionate about it. Uh, well, ultimately, it's about enabling the delivery of extraordinary care. That's that's really what why I get up every morning. That's why I work eight or ten hours in my business um, because I'm really passionate about giving physicians and clinicians the right tools and processes um, so they can deliver extraordinary care, so that we as uh, patients can benefit from optimized processes. Um, as as a systems engineer. 
I get frustrated, I get angry at inefficient processes. And there's so much, so much inefficiency in healthcare and so much variability in the quality. You can go to three different primary care physicians with the same test results with the same person, and you will get three different care plans and three different prescriptions. Um, and so as an engineer, that's just mind boggling how, uh, how that could be. Um, but that's the industry we're, we're currently in. And 100 years from now, I think it will be different because 100 years ago, uh, medicine looked very, very different um, as, as, as well. And so I just want to be at the helm. I want to be enabling those uh, innovative, forward-thinking organizations and leaders to uh, uh, apply those uh, systems engineering and engineering principles and process improvement principles. So that's really what I'm passionate about, enabling the delivery of extraordinary care so that physicians are happy doing their work and that patients get the best care possible. So it's really for both ends. Of this. I, I love that answer. I think you, you're, you're spot on because of the the, uh, the legacy systems that are in healthcare and some of the, uh, you know, slow to adopt, you know, very slow to adopt newer technology. Now, COVID has sped that up. I've heard, uh, where I should say I've read in a lot of different articles and periodicals are saying that because of now of the, you know, maddening adoption of telehealth, meaning they have to do that in order to engage, right. um, that we, we've shaved that adoption probably by 10 years. You know, so I want to say, how do you feel about that? Because you've been working in this industry for 10 plus years. Now you're saying like, wow. So what are the challenges and what are the things that you would like to tell the audience about telehealth adoption? Uh, well, obviously, yes, COVID was, was good in that uh, it really uh, created an environment in which people said, okay, in order to stay in touch with our patients, to give them medication refills, to follow up with them, we, we got to leverage technology. Um, unfortunately, what has happened is that a lot of the telehealth adoption was telephonic only telehealth, which really is not in my definition. Well, it is telehealth by my definition, but it's not really the video visits telemedicine that, that we get to know, which is so much more valuable because you get really the body language, the you get the tone of voice better, telephonic um, care. You've been in the communications industry. You, you know that the, the phone line cuts off a lot of frequencies and you don't get to catch the nuances and, and the different elements. And so, um, so yes, yeah, so the adoption has been great. And, and that's what we're now seeing uh, a year after the onset of the crisis or a year and a half almost is that organizations are realizing that there is merit in tele telemedicine. Um, there's also now more reimbursement across the board since we're still in this uh, uh, annoying fee-for-service environment that's not outcome-based uh, or uh, but results-based, but it's rather just uh, activity-based uh, payments. And so, uh, but now they're getting reimbursement. And so now they can, uh, now they're looking at to how to standardize and uh, structure uh, lever leverage telehealth and telemedicine so that uh, patients can have access to medicine uh, w when they want it, uh, where they need it. Let me ask you this, because I, I would figure now because of COVID, because people are definitely aware of telehealth, and there's a lot of different platforms from a, a basic vir you know, uh, virtual visit to remote patient monitoring, for instance, right? right? And, they're, they're, and then how do you monetize a telehealth and in, in, in back right into your uh, into your workflows, right? Right. Uh, that's been a challenge. So for you, have you been in, in high demand? I mean, are, are, is your book now like, hey, I, I'm booked for the next you know, year or two? Or, or how does that work out for you? Increasingly so. So um, still, I, I, I was, I was, uh, I've been continuously preparing myself for an onslaught of requests and they have not arrived yet per se. 
um, as, as you said early, uh, er, earlier, that it's about relationships, right? So I, I just closed uh, two, two bigger co contracts that basically came from a relationship that I started seven years ago. Um, and, and so you can't recreate that. So for all you entrepreneurs out there <laughs> listening to the podcast, uh, just be patient, hang in there. Uh, there. There's something magic that happens when you're seven years in business <laughs> and, and you survive into the eighth year um, because that's when those relationships that you formed and maintained um, will will come to fruition and and will bear fruit, um, and so yeah. So that's 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 really um, that's 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 the challenge is uh, that uh, organizations a think they can figure it out themselves, or um, with the COVID nineteen crisis still rearing its end and vaccination and everything. A lot of healthcare providers have been incredibly busy. Um, the larger organizations uh, think they have that expertise out there. Um, uh, or, or within their organization, because uh, because really, to my knowledge, we're we're the only boutique consultancy that has this uh, powerhouse of expertise um, as part of our team uh, that is out there. Most other consultancies are IT consultancies or other healthcare consultancies that have pivoted on or have adopted tele telemedicine, and so a lot of organizations don't even know that uh, telehealth expertise. Uh, to the caliber to what we can provide uh, exists out there and so they just try to do it uh, on their own um, and, and do it themselves and so the requests uh, or the search for um, uh, our, our services um, ha has has been sporadic but but uh, periodically uh, through my weekly newsletter um, uh, people are finding me and are reaching out to me i understand you not only have the newsletter but i think you've written a couple books is that correct um, I've been a guest author to, to, to one book uh, uh, that was published in Germany called uh, Digital in Health. So, and, but, but I uh, just finished uh, my 100th article, um, a thousand word article. So I think I've, uh, if a regular book is, is 50,000 words, I think I've written two books now. And actually I, I went through uh, my library and, and had it all categorized. And so now I need to take the content and, and put it all together. So. So yes, there may be a book in the future um, where I'm consolidating all that knowledge about how to optimize and grow your telemedicine services. I love it. I see a book coming. Without a doubt, you've got a lot of experiences that you need to share. And yeah. to your point, people will try to, you know, it's always that DIY approach. Let's try sure. to do it ourselves. It seems simple. And then you get further down the road and then you realize you need a professional. Because yeah. that's not your core expertise. That's not what you do every day. And you didn't realize all these nuances that they have to take place because you're adopting a new technology into a workflow that wasn't built that way. And right. are you willing to pivot? Are you willing to change? So I think you've got a lot of good information that you can share with people. I know you're, me and you, I think we're both part of HEMS. I, uh, we're looking to have you to have a speaker at one of our upcoming seminars Right. Uh, it's called uh, South Florida Hymns Integrate, and they're going to be one of the uh, featured speakers. So uh, we're very you know, much looking forward to having you uh, on that platform so you can inform our, our different healthcare systems uh, about those nuances and how to you know, adopt this to technology and how to make it work for them uh, uh, at this point in time. Right. Yeah, when I, I think the biggest challenge in, in healthcare right now with, with this onslaught of digital health, the digital health avalanche, as I call it, 
Um, the, the biggest challenge here is is, is really the, the 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 rate of adoption. Uh, healthcare is just simply not set up to to uh, uh, to accept um, innovation at at the rapid pace that is now needed, at which our world is evolving. I mean, the, the iPhone is 14 years old, right? So, and and how has it changed our world? I mean, uh, Uber, Airbnb, uh, I mean, uh, uh, delivery services. I mean, all of that. Um, is is just a fraction of our kind of modern lifetime, and and uh, and and typically in healthcare it takes seventeen years, seventeen years, one seven years, um, for fifty percent of the physicians to adopt uh, a new treatment protocol that was proven in a landmark clinical trial. <laughs> so wow. um, that's how slow it goes. And and if you think about it, it's basically the tr- the, the turnover of one generation of clinicians <laughs> uh, because it takes uh, physicians uh, quite a, a, a 10, 15 years until they really are uh, at the level where they're practicing independently uh, without the supervision of, of the seniors. So, so that system is creating that uh, reluctance to adopt new innovation. And we're, n- we're not looking at ball bearings here or even airplanes, right? We're, we're looking at patients' lives. And so you can't just play around with a drug or with a treatment or with advice. Um, and so so that, that hesitation to adapt innovation has unfortunately also played over in the technology realm because what we're talking about here with healthcare delivery is just how you deliver the service. It's not about a, a, a protocol or with digital health. Most digital health applications are about generating data, giving you more information so you can make an informed decision. But that's something that uh, traditionally uh, just physicians have not been used to. They make the decision, as I said earlier, uh, three, you ask three physicians with 20 years of experience, they give you three different uh, treatment protocols, and all of them are probably good. I mean, that might, it's, it's not a binary world either. Our bodies are not binary com- computers that uh, only will uh, respond to one sort of treatment. And so it's, yeah, so it's it's really, it's how do we adopt all this innovation that is available and how do we integrate it and leverage uh, the solutions that are out there without losing the autonomy um, that we can lose to make very important decisions that play with uh, people's lives. This episode is brought to you by Five Star BDM. Five Star BDM is a professional consulting and advisory group keenly focused on business development services for small to mid-sized businesses and entrepreneurs. Although every business is unique, they often share challenges that can be addressed through smart branding. Services include process improvement and operations, digital strategy and transformation, business intelligence, digital marketing, and personal branding. Our five-star business and personal branding company has helped a number of professionals and organizations to optimize and grow. The result is more business, more opportunities, better reach, positive outcomes. Please visit www.5starbdm.com to learn more and view all the episodes of Follow the Brand. Man. That, that's golden knowledge. And so what I'm hearing you say is that you've got a lot of good intelligence to help these healthcare systems as they are challenged with adopting new technology. You hear digital transformation all of the time now in the healthcare space, and they understand the problem, but that's obviously some um, revenue challenges as well. Where, where does the money, where does where the investment come from? But I'm going to pivot a little bit sure. and talk about brand again, meaning 
Now, what I'm hearing you say is that you have some solutions for a lot of these different health systems, but they're not aware of you. What are you doing to, to increase your visibility in, in the healthcare space? Yeah, I've got, uh, I, I wouldn't say I have solutions. I have approaches, right? I have uh, methods and ways, uh, engineering principles to go about because every client is different. Every organization is different. And so I never go in with any cookie cutter approach. And, and probably I'm just personality wise too creative <laughs> to do that, to do something the same way over again. I, I always like to vary it up and, and customize it for every organization, which is, which is uh, part of the great fun for me uh, of, of, of the job that I, that that I, that I that I hold here. So um so yeah so um sorry back to the question. <laughs> yeah no just from a brand perspective. Now I yeah. know that you obviously you've got a, a great website. Here I am looking at your screen and you've got healthcare shapers. And I think that's is that something in Germany? Tell us about healthcare shapers and what you're sure. doing there. Yeah okay so your question was how do I raise my visibility? Actually yeah. uh, uh, if you go to visibility, spelled with a P, um, meaning with the IP in the middle, dot com, uh, you, you'll find my latest venture um, that I'm launching. Uh, one of the things that I knew I, I had to do and I was dragging my feet for six years is to launch a, a newsletter. I needed to stay in touch with the people in my network and I needed to demonstrate out in the open the caliber of my thinking. And I, I wanted to create great value because uh, those, those organizations uh, or those, let, let's say, those individuals who do not hire consultants can still benefit from my expertise. And I don't think that there's any individual out there who didn't hire me because they could read everything in my articles. <laughs> it's actually the reverse is people read my articles and say, well, what, what would I get when I actually hire Christian <laughs> or hire his team? And, 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 and that was good advice that I received 10 years ago. And, and, and it's absolutely true. So uh, I just mentioned I've written 100 articles. I've been at it since October of 2019, a weekly article every Tuesday called Telehealth Tuesday. And so that's really how I'm building my visibility. Uh -huh. um, and so I have, in, in good systems engineering uh, uh, manner, also uh, perfected and, and, and optimized that process how to take that IP that I write and then put it on LinkedIn, put it on Twitter, put it on my blog, send it out to my newsletter, create a PDF white paper from it. And, and I've trained uh, uh, an assistant uh, uh, in the Philippines that I'm working with. And so basically I write my article, I throw it over the wall and she takes care of the rest. And what I'm now doing is I'm offering this up to other freelancers and consultants who have recognized the need to stay in touch regularly with their constituents, with their audience to raise, to establish themselves either as a thought leader, which is what my goal is, or to uh, stay in touch with their existing clients, which is one of our, our, our new clients that just signed on. That That is her goal, is to stay um, uh, in touch with her existing clients by sharing valuable insights um, that, that that she is either something in written writing or podcast or, or audio recording or video recording. And, uh, and that's how I'm building my visibility. In addition to speaking, I've had uh, 40 speaking engagements uh, over the last uh, uh, 12 months, and I probably had I had 30 speaking engagements the, the five years prior. So COVID definitely helped and, and uh, that everything is now virtual and webinars makes it logistically much easier um, to, to speak that much. But yes, my my um, approach, my strategy for raising my visibility is, is to create great content, valuable, pragmatic uh, uh, insights, 
and to share it um, with my network and uh, and hope that others share it as well so that uh, individuals who are looking for that expertise can find me and reach out to me to work with me. Wow. So you're across a lot of different channels, uh, social media. You've got a number of websites. And yes. So I'm curious, right? That's why I asked that question about uh, healthcare shapers. And I saw that. Right. It's like you've got another group of individuals that you work with, but right. it's different from in genuine. Is that correct? It, it is different from Ingenium. And Healthcare Shapers was established in 2014 um, by a group of consultants in Germany um, that came out of the big consulting firms, uh, mostly in the pharma industry. And they all right, realized that it's very hard as a solo consultant uh, because you're missing that networking component. You, you miss that team component. And so they established a network of, in, of high caliber, experienced, uh, successful healthcare consultants that want to shape healthcare, that want to improve healthcare and do it differently. Um, I came across them um, when I lived back in Germany for three years um, in, in 2015 through 2018. And uh, we've uh, um, connected and, and now I'm uh, coordinating activities here for healthcare shapers in the U.S., uh, with other healthcare consultants, and actually, we we're we're in a transition period right now, um, and and because I also established a very similar consortium under the Ingenium brand name, so I have a consortium of uh, digital health advisors, um, uh, about a fifteen of of them. They're all experts and independent consultants, and so I'm really leveraging uh, networking um, and and relationships to uh, nice. uh, make myself available to others, um, as well as having the ability to tap into somebody's expertise and refer them to uh, uh, leads or com or requests that are coming into my door. No, that, that, that's very smart. Number one, you that expands your reach and that's a win-win-win for everybody, right? Yeah. And you can work on mutual projects or it's just a solo opportunity, a one-off and that type of thing. Now right. I'm curious. Now you got my curiosity. Up, All right. Because you live in those two worlds. You live knowing that European model in, in Germany and you, you see the, the uh, American model here in healthcare. Describe for our audience the difference between those two healthcare systems. Um, well, it, first of all, you have a variety of different healthcare systems in, in, uh, um, in, in Europe as well. So, uh, so the, the Scandinavian model is a single payer system because uh, those Scandinavian countries, they only have three to 5 million people uh, living in those countries. So, so it's, it's, they're very, like Denmark, for example, has 5 million people. So that's very low. I think Sweden may have 15 or 16. Um, and so what, what they have in, in Denmark, for example, is a single payer health system. So you pay your taxes and, and then the government has those, uh, collects those kroners, as they're called in Denmark, <laughs> because they don't have euros <laughs> uh, either. Um, and uh, the interesting thing that, that Denmark did, which I thought thought, thought is brilliant, is that 50% uh, 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 of the money goes to the hospital to, uh, care, to pay for the care. The other 50% of the money they spend on healthcare goes to the mayor of the municipality. And now it's the, the local municipality's responsibility to pay for the health care for the residents in their area. So that um, plays right into one of my favorite uh, quotes uh, of uh, every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. 
And so Denmark, in my opinion, has created this perfect system where now the the objectives of the municipality in terms of uh, how many uh, stoplights do we put in, how many crosswalks do we put in, do we provide education on defibrillators or do we distribute them, uh, do we ban uh, candies from the checkout aisle, right? Do we limit the size of uh, the, the high sugar, high fructose uh, corn syrup? But whatever it is that they want to do as a municipality, is, has now a financial impact, a financial incentive, because they want to keep their citizens uh, healthy. So that's one example of, 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 of a health system um, in, in, in Europe. Um, Germany, for example, um, the only mandate that there is is that everybody has to have health insurance. There's a, it's a requirement. And so, and so a health insurance needs to take you as a um, as, as a patient or as a member of the health insurance. There's about uh, 50 health insurance companies in Germany. So it's not a single payer system. It's not government funded. Um, um, there, two thirds of them are kind of what we could consider as public. Um, uh, 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 they, they call it a, a sick, sickness insurance or something like that. You translated word, <laughs> word for word um, back into English. And so as a, as, a, as, a, as a resident of Germany, you need to have health insurance and health insurance premiums are a, a percentage of your salary up to 50,000 euro. Um, so, and half of it is paid by the employer and half of it by you. The percentage rate is 15 and a half percent. So you as an employer pay seven and 7.75% uh, 7 and the employer pays the other half. And so there's a cap uh, on that. If you do the quick math, it's about it's less than 400 euro a month that uh, that an, a, any employee would pay as a maximum if you're earning fifty thousand dollars or more. Um, and and so that's but since everybody is is insured, um, everybody everybody's care is is cared for, and and there is uh, no shortage really of. Uh, um, I mean, you, you still have to wait, but I had to wait four months for my cardiology appointment here in the US as well. So <laughs> um, it, it's no different. So that's that's kind of uh, where it's different is that everybody is required to be insured, and the the lowest insurance rate uh, if you don't have any income is like 160 euro, um, which is about $200 uh, a month. And that's, 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 the, that's the kind of maximum you need to pay if you don't have any income. And obviously if you have social security or any of the other programs, they will, they will pay for that. And so those are two examples. I don't have many, that much insights into the NHS at the, in, in, in the UK, um, but, but those are uh, the, the different systems in, in Europe. You think uh, when you mentioned population, because the healthcare system is fitted to the country and the culture that that's present. I think United States, obviously, we have a, a different system, and we've got a multitude of different ways to 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 utilize the healthcare system. And you know, we we create a lot of disparities. Uh, do you now? Do you see the differences between how healthcare is consumed in the U.S. as it is in Europe? Um, well, I think the biggest differences and from, from my perspective is more about, is it's, it's, it's about that payment side, right? It's, it's about, I, I just read a statistic here that, um, out of pocket costs uh, for healthcare have ballooned 10% uh, over the last year in the wake of the COVID-19 health crisis, whether that's for co-payments or high deductible plans or all of that. And, and, and those things simply don't exist in, in Germany. You, you may have a co-pay of five or 10 euro. 
but not for preventative services. So very, very similar to the to the higher end plans here in the US, but there's no deductibles for um, for any procedures or, or the percentage. So you never hear any case in Germany of somebody going bankrupt because of healthcare bills. It's just impossible. It's just, you, you will never get um, that that high of a bill. It's, it's just not set up. And so I think that drives uh, utilization too, or the way that you use it. You, you just don't think about it, so to speak. And and to my knowledge, from based on my insights and and what I hear from others, there's there's no overutilization on, uh, of sorts, uh, just because it's cheap. I think that's one of the fears always uh, of of the naysayers of these kind of systems is that there would be an overutilization because there's no barrier anymore, um, and it just doesn't happen. But it's also, as you said, it's designed for the different culture um, uh, uh, of, of 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 the country, and and Europe is wired very differently than than America. I understand that. I understand that. Now I'm curious to find out what kind of, do you see technology adoption the same in Europe? Is it higher or is it lower in comparison to the U.S.? Um, in the Scandinavian countries and a lot of the Eastern Eastern European countries, the uh, uh, Estonia, Lithuania, Hungary, um, Czech Republic, um, the technology adoption is, is really much higher. Those are smaller countries. They have... Uh, um, where really the officials have really set the stage for leveraging digital health. Um, to, to go back to my example of Denmark earlier, um, Denmark basically uh, closed, uh, 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 abandoned all the old hospitals, reduced bed capacity by 20%, and, and then reopened new centralized hospitals and told them, um, uh, go figure it out, telehealth works. Um, so you figure it out how to re, uh, deal with a 20% less bed capacity because it's too expensive to keep patients in, in a hospital. It's much cheaper to uh, have them at home, right? Um, the year 2008 is when they started that. So, <laughs> so yes, they're ahead of their times. Uh, Germany, I'm very embarrassed and frustrated to say, is is still probably in compared to the US uh, in 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 the I would say the mid to late 1990s. <laughs> so. Um, uh, uh, the new health minister has made a lot of strides. It's 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 incredibly political um, uh, there, and and and, and politics does influence a lot of the healthcare decisions. I don't quite understand it, but also the physician lobby that is resisting change is is very very strong, disproportionately strong, um, and so they're they're just resisting the change. Uh, up until two years ago, it was illegal to actually do telemedicine visits, um, so it was forbidden by law. <laughs> to do a telemedicine visit um, uh, with a new patient that that is and we've seen some of these attempts here in, in the US as well and in, in the state of Texas early early on five six years ago but uh, yeah but the adoption of technology really is, is surprisingly and embarrassingly low in Germany when it comes to healthcare um, which is yeah um, so so healthcare is, is is not the flagship export article of Germany I think it's still the the engineering and and the car and and, uh, and the other ingenuity that, that comes out of Germany. Well, th this has been great. I'm glad you have shared this knowledge and insight. I think a lot of people want to understand kind of where we really sit in comparison to especially other industrialized nations. And um, you, you said some really good insight and some good light on, on that. And before we leave, because we've talked about a lot of different things, I want to give you the, the mic at this point. I want you to be able to frame what you would like to speak to the audience um, that I have of Follow the Brand 
and and let them know what what you are about, what Kristen Malaster, you know, what you've been doing. Just capitalize or you know put into context what you want your audience to take away from from what you do and why you do it. Well, we're staying in the context of, of a brand is really for, for all those entrepreneurs here on the line or aspiring entrepreneurs. Uh, a, a brand is important and and uh, um, and, and you just got to go out there and do the things and talk about it um, because otherwise nobody hears about it. And um, what I had to learn um, or overcome uh, hesitation uh, to share your knowledge and your intellectual property freely. Um, because really, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, anything that you may come up with, somebody already has done in certain, in some other ways. And so, by sharing freely and by giving information out, you're doing good uh, to the world because people can read it and get inspired by it, and do something uh, about it. And and those who are ready to work with uh, talent, um, they will hire you. Uh, I think it was Scott F. Fitzgerald that said. Uh, um, 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 and, and, and I'll forget it. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, it, it, it's been a long day here as as, 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 as everything things up. But it's it's um, actually it was somebody else. Um, that, that's why I was stumbling. It's uh, um, it's a gene. It's a talent that recognizes a genius, but mediocrity knows nothing but itself. So it's those people who are talented, who are smart, who are intelligent, who will love to work and hire other smart, intelligent people. And if you don't toot your own horn, as my mentor says, then there's no music. So you got to toot your horn. You got to put out your knowledge and and be confident about what you know and the experience you've gained. And, and share it freely. And then the right people that are fun to work with will reach out to you and, and give you their business. Man, this, that wonderful statement, wonderful statement. You're exactly right. You've got to get out there and, and sing your song. Everyone has a story. Everyone on this planet really has a story. Yes. It's your obligation to tell that story. Because if you don't tell that story, no one could, could take advantage of what you bring to the table and the world is, is, is less than because of that. Yeah. So before we leave, I want the audience to know how to contact you. Make sure how they how, how do they get in touch with Kristen Malaster? All right. Well, you can probably click on any of the links in the show notes here. Uh, Christian Malaster, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn or ingenuumdigitalhealth.com uh, um, for my company webpage. And I can be reached there via phone, by email, um, or um, even, even set up a brief introductory Zoom call. Um, always like to network with uh, like-minded folks who are, were inspired or um, touched by what, what I had to say. And I always like to compare notes. Uh, as, as Grant said, this is all about networking and, 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 and giving back to the people within your network. Excellent, excellent. So we're going to conclude uh, at this point in time. I'm going to welcome everybody to continue to follow the brand. We are building a five-star brand that you can follow. So continue to follow us at www.5starbdm.com. All of our podcast episodes are available in all the different podcast networks that you're very familiar with, like iTunes, Spotify, Audible. There's probably uh, 20 others that I can't even uh, uh, think about right now, but they are available there. So just type in follow brand. You can type in Grant McGaw, but you'll be able to type in Kristen Malaster and this episode will come right up. So thanks again, Kristen. And we'll hopefully we will see you soon down here in the flesh in South Florida. <laughs> that would be very wonderful. And it was fun to be on your podcast. So thank you very much for having me. Thank you. 